Welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the privilege of sharing a conversation that I recently had with the amazing Alice Vickers. Alice is an inspiring educator who has a passion for sharing her knowledge and skills with other educators across the globe. Her enthusiasm for education and improving the educational outcomes of all students is sought after and admired by her peers. In this interview, we talked about her new book, The Thinking Classroom, in which she argues that developing the critical and creative thinking skills of students in our classrooms is a necessary culture that all teachers must foster. Not only does it underpin the syllabus outcomes and content indicators, but the ability to think critically and creatively and to articulate the thinking of others is a hugely valuable skill in today's world. I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? I'm phoning in from New South Wales in the, at the base of the Snowy Mountains in a little town called Tumut. Beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. What's really it like? excited to join you. Oh, it's so lovely to talk to you. I'm a, a huge fan of your work. I'm really grateful that you would uh, take the time to talk to me today. Um, probably the most important question, uh, what's your coffee order for when I can finally buy your coffee? <laughs> well, I actually don't drink coffee. <laughs> Have you ever no, drunk coffee? Or no, it- never. I've tasted it once and it was far too bitter for me. So I am a hot chocolate or a tea person. Uh, black tea, white tea. What's white your tea. tea of choice? Interesting. Okay. English um, breakfast. Oh, I love English breakfast. I'm I'm English, and so uh, that is my uh, that is my go to tea. Uh, yeah, just can't go past it. You can't There's go something past about it. it. Yeah. Is is there a book uh, that you've recently read that has caused you to reconsider a few things in your life? Um, probably thinking back to one, it's probably not a recent read, but it's one that I kind of go back to often, is The Innovator's Mindset from George yeah. Kuros. Yeah. Just got some really lovely pearls of wisdom in there. And he just has this way of making you feel like the things that you're doing in your classroom really are making a difference and that you know when you get to the point where it's like oh i need to shift or i need to improve things that you know you can take those small chunk steps to get there and he gives you some nice guidance around you know innovating in the space that you're currently working in it doesn't have to be a big you know broader school innovation or you know beyond the school you can do it within your classroom and it's it was one I I read 
would have been a couple of years ago now, but it's like I said, it's one that I often go back to. It's it's a it's a good one. Fantastic. Is there a, um, a a book that you are currently reading or a book that you'd like to try and read? I am currently reading. I've got my stack here <laughs> next to me. I'm currently reading De-Implementation by Peter DeWitt. Really fascinated by the work that he's doing in this space at the moment. Um, it's only a newly released book. Uh, I think it came out at the end of last year. So it's all about um, looking at those low value, low impact, things that we do every day that aren't having the results and giving us the impact that we're wanting with our students. And it's about looking at what is, what are the high impact strategies, the high impact um, things that we're doing in the classroom that we can leverage to get more out of, you know, the processes that we've got in place, the strategies that we're using. Um, yeah, and it's kind of one of those things as a leader that you kind of, you know, when you're implementing new strategies, you think, oh, you know, we just, like we've got a focus this year on writing in my school and it's like, oh, you know, we want to want to do a big overhaul. But you kind of got to sit back and look at what is working, what are the things that aren't working and why are they not working and then looking at that space of where to next. So it's been a nice, a nice professional read for the last couple of weeks. Fantastic. Do you read any books uh, outside of your profession? They seem very teacher-centric. Um, mostly they're teacher-centric. If I do read anything else, they're kind of like um, just rom-com, sappy, you know, things that they have nothing to do with education that kind of just you're make you to, happy you're feel good. entitled to that right, you know. You can oh, absolutely. You yeah. and read Woman's Day or whatever you need to. Like it's just, yeah. That's yeah. my guilty pleasure. I love Woman's Day because I just yeah. think, oh, a new idea. I'm like, I, I just... I just need something that I don't have to think about. Um, yeah. It's... I like reading reading novels that have been turned into um, movies Interesting. or TV series. Yeah. And I like, like I'll often come across net, like Netflix at the moment where I'll watch a movie and it, in the credits it says based on such and such a book. And I think, oh, I quite enjoyed that movie. I might go back and read the book, um, which is what I've been doing the last few books that I've read. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I'm just um, uh, curious, Alice, um, what was your uh, upbringing like and what are you most grateful for from your parents? Um, I had a pretty good upbringing. I'm one of three, so I'm the eldest of three siblings, but my siblings are a um, little bit younger than I am. So my sister's six years younger than me and my brother's eight years younger than me. So you know, I was quite a fair bit older than them growing up. Um, I was quite heavily into athletics and did quite well in that sport. So I competed in New Zealand and national championships and in, um, you know, was always traveling around to different states and territories for athletics, um, hurdles, high jump, mm. hundred meters, 200 meters, long jump. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite, was right into that right up until probably first few years of my teaching career yeah and then it kind of got teaching kind of took over and yeah wow yeah just let it kind of fall by the wayside but I think I'm I'm grateful that you know I had parents because I was one of those kids who had lots of energy when I was growing up and my parents I love to run everywhere 
And my parents were like, right, we've got to get this girl into athletics. <laughs> so that's what they did. And I let, they let me run to my heart's content. And yeah. I'm grateful that they gave me that opportunity and yeah. saw the potential and, and were willing to foster that. And my poor siblings kind of <laughs> got dragged along the way. They didn't have yeah, a choice. Yeah. Um, so teaching but, wasn't your first choice, was it? No, it wasn't. Like meteorology was, is that it correct? It was, yeah. I so I'm, your book and I thought that is, um, that's an unusual. Left field, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit left field. So t- tell me about that. Why meteorology and, and how did you become to, to be the, the teacher that you are today? Because they're two completely different paths. They are. Um, oh, I just love meteorology and I love the weather. Like the I don't weather. think I've ever heard anybody say I just love meteorology. I, think, <laughs> right, I love, you know, I love that you're into it. That, that's one of <laughs> I think I was first curious about it when I watched the movie Twister. Right, you know, with, I remember that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Helen Hunt. Loved it. And there's cuts to scenes every so often in like you know the meteorology hub or center or wherever they are. And I think, oh, gosh, I just that's just fascinates me, and I've always enjoyed learning about the weather and my grandfather was also right into the weather and so anytime that we would go and visit him we'd have fantastic chats about the weather and I thought yep I'm going to be a meteorologist that's what I want to do and when you have to put in your like it's called UAI you know your choices for UAI back way back when um, that was the top of my list and teaching was also on there um and as it as it so happens, my results, the way they were scaled, I couldn't couldn't do meteorology, and I had a bit of a cry to my parents around. Oh, you know, the the world was over as I knew it, and we kind of sat sat down and talked about you know the options and had a look at some different unis that did kind of some probationary. Um, you know, they put you on probation. You had to kind of prove yourself um, through your grades to, to be accepted into a course. And so, um, so do I did you, that with um, Avondale do, do, you, do you regret that you didn't um, pursue that career in meteorology? Um, sometimes I still think about it and I think, oh, yeah. gosh, maybe I could do that if I ever decided not to be in education. Wow. Um, it, it's interesting, though, because, um, and we'll get into your sort of, uh, experience and some of the amazing work that you've done. Um, it, it, it's interesting that 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 education was sort of a secondary choice for you, but yet you've committed like your whole heart and you've you've gone after it, and it's something which you are incredibly passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. Is would you mind maybe sort of talking us through that process? So how like you mentioned that that education was your second choice. Like did yeah. did you get to a point where you thought this is it um or do you still sort of do you see kind of a synergy between both of those interests um I think I see that you know that love of weather and things related you know kind of like a geography Mm. space because I thought about going into being a geography teacher because I quite enjoy um all things related to geography I settled for primary, not that I settled for primary school teaching, but I chose primary school teaching um, because I really enjoy working with little kids. And we did, um, like my first six months, we were in a school doing some small group stuff as part of our first prac. 
And I remember just thinking, yeah, this is where I'm 100% meant to be. Like this is, yeah. this is my calling and I kind of, you know, this is the path that I want to take. Wow. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, just built and grown to what it's become today. It, and the reason why I ask, and I was sort of probing a little bit there, there's so many people that I've had the privilege of speaking to on the podcast that you kind of, before you speak to them, you sort of have this perception that they always had this very clear like path and that they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And it was, and I'm just here sort of freaking out going, what am I meant to be doing with my life? And and it's really lovely and really reassuring to, to get a bit of that story behind the people that you interview and um it's also yeah. good to know that, that sometimes you can just like follow your gut and and see where that leads you and it, it's really lovely and and what i've sort of noticed in my profession is or my career is that you don't have to sort of you, you never go without i mean teaching is a wonderful and also an all-encompassing career where you can bring in those interests, you can bring in those expertise from other areas, you can uh, talk about your passions outside the classroom with your kids, and it has this—it's yeah. a really wonderful profession because I think the experience wherever you have come from and whatever interests you had before going into it um, can really be highlighted um, within uh, within teaching, and it's it's uh, yeah really interesting to hear so thank you for your uh, thank you for your honesty um do you think that um mrs toby or mr tempest um had an impact on your um desire to go into teaching were they your primary school teachers were they your high school teachers uh mr van tempest was my primary school year six teacher okay and i actually worked ended up um working with him a couple of years into my teaching career was which was just mind-blowing I still could not call him by his first name I know oh he was he, he, he was and always will be Mr Vane Tempest to me or Mr VT as we called him um he what? just was yeah a really down-to-earth teacher and yeah. he really had this he loved sports so that was you know perfect for me right up my alley and he kind of he saw the passions and the interests of each of the students in his class and he used that to his favor and he like you know really helped us to have build that love of learning and to really you know pursue the things that we were interested yeah. in and mrs toby she was actually my year 12 geography 11 and 12 geography interesting teacher which is why i thought oh, i could be a geography teacher because she was just yeah amazing she just had this way of, you know, weaving in all of these really interesting stories and making the study of geography really fun and engaging and relevant. And she just made learning exciting and just thought, oh, if I'm going to be a teacher, I want to be like those two. They're, so, they're my inspiration. That's really lovely. And how did you feel when you went into, let's take Mr. Vane Tempest, how did you feel when you went into his classroom? It was or, or when really, he interacted with you or yeah. It was a really calm space, a really inviting space. Like you never felt like any question was gonna be too silly to ask. You could always, you know, ask for help and yeah. He was always, you know, willing to kind of go that extra mile to make sure that you understood and to help you out. And so it was a really nice classroom to kind of yeah. go into. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I had the privilege of um, interviewing my year three teacher. She was also my year five teacher, um, a lady called uh, Mrs. Taylor Jones. I still can't call her Beth. Um, <laughs> very weird. And I remember, and this was over in a school called Long Row, which is in the middle of England, um, middle of nowhere, such a beautiful place. And I went back uh, probably about six years ago with my wife and I saw Mrs. Taylor Jones and just gave her this big hug and I just started yeah. like crying and I just remember my wife saying afterwards like yeah that's not that's not cool like and <laughs> just, it reminded me of just the incredible um influence that teachers have and I don't remember what she taught me I don't remember yeah. it, that um, she would have taught me something about area or measurement or writing persuasive text but I don't remember any of that I just remember going into her classroom and how she made me feel and it was yeah. a particularly um challenging time in our family our family had just broken up and I just knew that and I'm sure she did this with every other student in the class but for me I felt like the most important student in that class yeah and it's a it's a real reminder I think that um the power that we have or the influence we have as educators is um those interactions that we have with our kids and I know obviously yeah. what we teach them is really important but if we're missing that well-being and that that personal connection then yeah. I think we've I, I think we've missed the point um Alice I was just wondering just changing uh tax slightly um what's something that you've changed your mind about in education when you look over your career from when you started to where you are now or what's something that you've uh, changed your mind about or approaching differently uh literacy instruction <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's it's such a rabbit hole and i've been diving down the science of reading for the last couple of years now and i just remember having when i first started on that journey i just remember having this real guilt that everything i had learned at uni about literacy instruction and everything that i had the way that I had taught my students up until that point, I just felt this really grave sense of guilt that, oh my God, I've done a, such a disservice to these kids yeah. and I haven't taught them, particularly reading, I haven't taught that effectively. And there's going to be a whole group of kids out there now who, Can't you know, read. haven't learned how to read properly or effectively. And I just felt so guilty. Yeah. And so I've done a whole lot of, um, spent a whole lot of time relearning yeah effective literacy instruction and what that looks like and then yeah. to the point now where the role that I'm in is around supporting other teachers amazing to be able to make that shift I, I think that's actually a good thing that you feel guilty um because it, like I think teaching um is the guiltiest profession because there's always something that we could have done more there's always we always could have done better i mean i got to the end of last year and was just so emotional because i thought oh my gosh like i could have there's just i should have done this better i should have seen that yeah. and, and and i think that's a that can be a really positive motivator um uh, but um it's it, it's difficult so i mean what how do you how do you begin to process that do you just sort of say okay from now on we're going to uh, try and do this differently or do you, do you let it go or, or, or what do you, what, what well, you... I kind of, I keep the quote in mind now that I know better, I can do better. And I just one step at a time kind of almost kind of chunked it one component at a time, right. I'm going to shift 
this part of my practice and then once I've I've got that I can start shifting the next little bits almost like turning the the cog um so it wasn't because literacy is such a massive area you can't overhaul everything overnight so it's it was about going right I'm going to start at this point and then just make small shifts you know every week every yeah depending on how the kids were responding um until I felt like yeah, what I'm what I am doing is yeah. evidence based, and it's having a positive impact on my students. And I can see it in the data. I can see it in the way that they're interacting and they're talking about literature. And yeah. So, had like you're obviously in a leadership position at your school. You're, you're obviously working, um, coaching, and mentoring teachers, and, and doing a. Um, I, I know how uh, complex that role is. Um, how how do you define leadership and um how do you sort of begin to make that change at a school level because you said that obviously literacy is incredibly complicated um but but how do you begin to firstly sorry that's a very long-winded question firstly how do you (laughs) define leadership um and secondly um how do we begin to um know what to focus on in terms of being able to move move that needle forward yeah i think for me Leadership, it's not the fact that I have a title. For me, it's about helping others to become the best versions of themselves. So my, I see leadership for me is really about being that servant leader to others, helping you know, all of the knowledge and the skills that I've gained over my career, helping others you know, to build their capacity. Um, and in terms of you know, looking at, moving the needle you know change in schools is is like i said it's it's a complex process and i really think that for us at our school we have a, a motto of small bites chewed well and so we really go into um you know particularly shifting the literacy narrative we kind of chunk things up and we go, right, we're going to focus on just this component. So um, let's say it's vocabulary instruction. We're going to really look at how we teach, explicitly teach vocabulary, what that looks like, how we build it into our literacy block. And we're going to sit there and we're going to focus and consolidate that and do that well. And then we'll bring in the next component and we kind of, it's almost like building a house. You you know, Mm. add the next brick and the next brick until you eventually have built your house, but it's not about building that all straight away. You have to be able to sustain the things that you're doing. And to do that, you have to, it's almost like this, you know, the small wins and small gains along the way make that, you know, that big process and and success at the end. Yeah. Because a leadership is a, um, it's a it's a tricky concept, I think, and I and mm. I think it's something which um, thankfully has has changed. I know some of my experiences early on in my career, um, leadership was not talked about um, in ways that it is today. Mm. Um, and um, I was just wondering, um, what are some of the ways that you develop your own leadership? I know there's a lot of talk around. Um, self-reflection and, and 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 reading and being evidence-based but but what's some of the ways that you sort of personally um help to build your own leadership capacity are you uh do you reflect on the day that's been do you write in a journal do you 
um, I don't know, like how do you develop yourself as a leader? Um, I'm, I'm a very reflective person. And mm -hmm. so I do, I do kind of sit, I might, you know, put something aimlessly on, on the TV and just sit and reflect and kind of process the day to help me get it out of my head. Um, and it allows me to sleep better at night, but it's kind of through that process that I think, oh, you know, I really need to, you know, learn a little bit more about this or strengthen my ability mm. you know, to do that. And I might you know, jot it down on a little notepad and go, okay, you know, over the next you know, four weeks, I'm going to spend some time learning more about this. So it might be something related to my role in terms of the way that I'm supporting yeah. teachers. So it might be around instructional coaching or it could be, you know, specific around, you know, something I might be helping teachers yeah. in the classroom with, you know, in terms yeah. of phonics instruction or what they're doing in, in mathematics. Yeah. Um, or it could even be more broadly around, you know, building empathy as a leader or, you know, it, yeah. it kind of depends on, on what's going on in the, in the school context and how I'm, I'm feeling around those kinds of things. But my boss is all, always really good at, you know, deep, we spend a lot of time debriefing around lots of the mm. things that, that go on and, and the way that we've approached yeah. things and having those conversations are often really good in terms of going, oh, you know, I, she might see a blind spot that I haven't quite recognized yet. And we have a chat about it and think, oh yeah, no, yeah, I really yeah. need to work on, work on that, which, you know, is really beneficial. So um, as part of the research for this podcast, I, um, I did speak to your boss. I was just wondering um, if we could, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, <laughs> if, if we could get somebody that, um, that is in a position um within your team how do you think they would describe your leadership style what do they think they will say alice is really great at um you haven't spoken to anyone i promise <laughs> i'd like to think and i have i actually have done a um one of those 360 oh. review surveys i did it the same time. yeah so I, I did have the opportunity to get some some feedback um, like a horrible job interview. I'm really sorry. It's uh, late. No, it's all yeah. good. It's all good. I like curly questions. Yeah. Um, and I, I think some of the things that I think that they would say is that I like, I'm always offering to help. I'm always giving of my time and my knowledge if I think it's going to help and support um that person oftentimes they can say it could be to the detriment of the other things that i'm that i've got going on my plate but um mm. i think you know one of the things that i'm really passionate about is helping others and so i don't see you know if, if a colleague comes to me with a, a question or an issue i don't see that stopping what i'm doing to help them is a waste of my time and, it, and if anything i think it you know is more an important use of my time because I'm not on a, on a class and so my role is purely around building and supporting staff so I you know kind of see that as my primary goal and if you know our the conversation or yeah. the, the support that I give them can help them in any way shape or form do their job better mm -hmm. than they could 
say half an hour ago, then, you know, that's a job well spent, I think. So what do you think, um, personally, sorry, what, what do you think your own area for you to improve in is, in terms of your leadership, or what's something that you are working on looking forward into 2023? Um, I, I'm one of those people, I, I suppose nobody ever really likes conflict, but I, I really don't mm. enjoy conflict and and times when you know you may have a conflict with another uh, colleague and it's probably been a goal for the last couple of years to really build more confidence in knowing how to deal with those situations and to not i guess take them personally as such i totally um, i'm exactly exactly the same i totally get to really understand where that person is coming from to I was supposed to almost see it as a zoomed out view where it's sort mm. of like okay what what is caused that person to react in this way mm. what, you know what is really going on what's the message that they're trying to communicate yeah and really kind of remove myself yeah as such from the emotional side as best you can yeah um, so that's kind of something that I've been working yeah working on that's great. Before we move on to your amazing work, I, I promise we will. I'm just getting stuck in some of these curly questions. One more curly question. Um, do you think you have balance in your life? And what does the word balance mean to you? Balance, balance I think, is a tricky one. Um if you asked me that question last year, I probably would have said not as much as I would like to. Um, I mm. think some years I've been good at it and other years I've not been as good at balancing mm. work and, and home life. Um, we've, as you know, just had a, or, you know, had a little one, she's 16 months old now. And so I went back to work full time last year so balancing a very little child and full-time work and writing a book and you know, hosting a podcast, yeah. I found balancing things for myself difficult. Mm. So I, I, you know, we do a lot of things as a family. We get out and we go mountain biking and hiking and you know, go on a little adventures. And we just found having a little one. I wasn't able to get out on the mountain bike as much yeah. as I, I would normally pre little baby, um, which kind of, I think made me think about, you know, kind of what else, if I can't do that, what else can I do instead? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my goal this year is to really find that balance again. She's kind of at an age where we can put her on one of those little shotgun seats on the mountain bike we can actually take the mountain biking now so um it'll be good to be able to get out and do those things again and and really i think i think it's really important to have a balance that works for you i don't i think you know everyone's different and some of the things that i quite enjoy doing in the school environment are are things that i get it i get it 
pleasure out of. Yeah. And so my balance might look a little bit skew if to, to other people's, but I think that that's, that's okay, whatever kind of works for you. And I think it has to, like, you have to sort of be able to be aware enough to know the season that you're in. Mm. Um, and so, like, like I know for us, like, we're, um, we're sort of at the point now where our, our girls are a little bit, um, a little bit more independent. I mean, they're sleeping really well. And so now we're sort of shifting our attention and our focus to sort of other things. It's not all as all consuming. Yes. Um, uh, but also like I, I remember sort of when we first had a little one thinking like, actually my priority is, is, is getting home for, for bath bed and or dinner, bath and bed. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, I think it's important, like you're saying, to be flexible with that. And, and I remember like, it almost seemed like having another thing on my to-do list, you know, like I'm, I'm, I must now like meditate or journal or exercise. Yeah. Like I've already got 15 things to do before I like leave the house. Like I can't do another. Yeah. And so I think having that flexibility also being sort of showing grace towards yourself and saying, mm. okay, it's just going to look different. But um, Alice, I do not know how you have the time to, um, uh, to write a book. Um, I really don't. Um, but please, um, would you mind just spending a few moments um, and I won't give away, I don't want to give away everything about the book. I encourage everyone to to buy it, but tell me a little bit about the thinking classroom and why was it such an important, why is it such an important project to you? It's the thinking classroom has stemmed from the things that I've done in my classroom over the last 10 years. And it's kind of stemmed from the learning that I've done in um, that space around critical and creative thinking and building a culture of thinking. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to do quite a few workshops and do a lot of learning with Ron Richard, who does some amazing work in this space. And it was probably around, I think it was around 2017 that I the, the leadership position that I had was um, all about developing thinking in the classroom. So it was a school-wide leadership role. And my role was to support teachers um, to develop think cultures of thinking in their classroom. And it really kind of stemmed from there and me blogging about, you know, the kinds of things that we were doing, the, the ways that I was using different thinking routines in my classroom and my publisher approached me to say you know we've been reading your blog and we really like the way that you write and the topic that you're writing about um, and so we kind of talked about turning that into the book that you see today. And how I mean you've written a book I mean that's that's amazing um how did you find the time were you uh, were there moments that you thought oh my gosh I've bitten off more than I can chew here or um was it was it a pretty easy process I, I to be honest I found it a relatively easy process I always thought writing a book writing a book was always on my bucket list and mm. I always thought it to be this mammoth task that would take forever and a and an editor would just pull it to pieces and you have to start again. That was kind of my vision of what a, writing a book would be like. And it just, it wasn't that at all. I started writing at the end of January of last year and it was to my editor, I think at the beginning of July 
in last year. So it took me about six months to write. And some of it I had already had pieces of it there already from the website and, and the blog. So it was a matter of, of pulling that information into, you know, succinct paragraphs and, and the likes. But I kind of would sit when my little one was, she wasn't yet moving about. So she was just kind of stationary when she was having her tummy time and playing and the other older kids were off, um, you know, outside doing their thing. I'd sit with my computer and think, oh, yep, I've got an idea. And I just sit chapter at a time and just piece it together. And mm. it, yeah, it so, was it was quite an enjoyable experience, actually. Was it, was it therapeutic? Did you sort of, was it a, a lovely process to get all of those ideas out onto a add on to a, to a page or what was it like when you got handed a physical object that you had created or was that just crazy it was so surreal it's so surreal when like you can physically hold it in your hands mm. you think, oh, my, oh my gosh like the moment that my my eldest he when the when the box arrived and I opened it he's like mom that has your name on it I was like Amazing. I know he's like did you write that? It's like, I did. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like that moment was surreal. But then to see, you know, when someone buys it, mm. even that's just insane to think that, you know, someone else has my thoughts and ideas, you know, and they're sitting and reading it. Like that's just, it's just mind blowing. So why is, why is metacognition important? And, um, how would you define, or how do you define metacognition? I think in its in its simplest form, the simplest way I could put it is that it's thinking about our thinking. And in a classroom, you know, when you when you think about all of the interactions and all the things that you do and say in the classroom, the amount of thoughts that go through your head in terms of how you would approach something and how you would you think about you know, solving problems and, and then communicating all of that information. We often don't take the time to stop and think about how we do those and perform those processes. And so for me, metacognition is about taking the time in the classroom to notice and name what goes on inside our heads when we're thinking in particular ways. So, you know, if I think about being able to identify something is very different to being able to evaluate something. Yeah. And they, they require a different way of thinking. So it's all about helping students to, to, to experience what it sounds like, what it feels like, to, to think in a particular way and go, oh, I, I can apply that to this situation. Yeah. I know what that means. I know what it yeah. feels like to evaluate something and they kind of become a little bit you know more aware of what is actually going on inside their head when they're thinking yeah. about something in a particular way i mean one of the things that i one of the many things that i really loved about the book is you, you talked about thinking routines and I, yeah. i'd never really thought about um sort of thinking as a skill that was developed i know that sounds sort of crazy because like yeah. after reading a book you're like yeah of course it is yeah. but the idea that you actually need to um have a methodical approach to problem solving that you need to give students the resources and the skills to be able to structure their thought processes and move 
through that process in um, in ways that are going to help them solve problems. And, and I love I, I loved the idea of thinking routines, and and it really made me sort of curious about how I could embed them more into my kind of um, my own teaching practice when I go back to school in a week or so's time. So for those people that are listening, how do we begin to sort of embed those thinking routines into our teaching? And, and what what would they look like practically in a classroom? So I think if you're new to thinking routines and you're new to kind of starting starting in that space, the easiest one to implement is a C-Think Wonder. Mm. So and what I like about thinking routines is that generally their name is what the prompts are. So it's easy yeah. to remember. Right. Yeah. You don't yeah. kind of have to look them up. Um, so seeing, you know, a see, think, wonder works really well with any kind of provocation that you've got, whether it's a text, whether it's an image, whether it's, you know, numbers or something that you're, you know, working with with a historical artifact. Um, or an artwork or something like that. It's it's a, quite a versatile routine and it's probably the easiest one to use in every curriculum area. Um, so when you're asking students to see, you, you say to them, okay, you know, say you've got a, you know, a picture of the life cycle of a strawberry, you know, all the different phases of a strawberry. Um, and, you know, you say to the kids, what is it that you see what do you observe and what do you notice and so it's you know giving them space to just make a list of Mm -hmm. all the things that they see they can get it out you know oftentimes the kids will be like oh you know i noticed this and someone goes oh i hadn't spotted that yet and there's a conversation that ensues around the you know different components of a of a provocation depending on what you're using and i use that as a provocation, as you kind of like a springboard into the next prompt, which is around what do you think? So it could be, you know, what do you think is occurring? Say we've got the life cycle of a strawberry. What do you think is occurring here? And so then we, yeah. you know, generate ideas around what the yeah. students think. And we, and it's a really good way of um, drawing out some of that background knowledge. What do they know about? The provocation that I'm showing them without saying, you know, getting to this, what do you know about life cycles? Because yeah. um, that's quite confronting. Like if you turn around to a group it of people, is, say, it like, is, yeah. The life cycle of a butterfly, I reckon the vast majority yeah. of them will go, yeah. Know. Or they'll just be sort of silent. And I love the idea. And the see, think, wonder is just so simple. Um, it is, yeah. Because it's, it's got a really easy entry point. Like, what mm. do you notice? I can see that the strawberry is red. Great. Yeah. That's something that you can see. And yeah. so, it, like, it draws kids in really, really quickly. Um, yeah. We use a, um, we use see, think, wonders all the time. And it would also, um, uh, to try and prompt students to ask questions using KWL charts. Yeah. But have them, like, on, on one of the walls in my classroom is just a giant piece of butcher's paper where at any point kids can go and write a question that they have, something yeah. that they learned, something that they want to find out. And not only is it a great way of capturing um, assessment data or capturing mm-hmm. student insights, but it also allows them to post their own or pose their own questions. Yes, yeah. which and is a really powerful takes, driver for learning. Like, yeah, and it takes the pressure, like, like it takes 100%. the pressure off us. And I and I loved, like, like another thing I loved about your book is that it it took the focus away from the teacher and it made it a lot less decentralized. So a thinking classroom is a classroom that is one that um, 
is solving problems and is asking questions. And I, and I really loved how, and I love how the role of the teacher is really shifting from that holder of knowledge to, to a facilitator. And yeah. um, there's, there was so many ideas in that book about things that I could use with my class and how to kind of, because we're all busy. We've all got stuff that we're trying to do and we're trying to get through things. So I love how like, if we can get these skills embedded into our teaching and learning, it just makes, firstly, it makes classrooms more exciting, but also makes it more engaging and more, more appealing yeah um, and, I, and what I like about the use of thinking routines is that you're using questions yeah to, to drive those those prompts and that you know you, you can depending on where your students are at in the learning cycle use yeah. scaffolds to help them chunk yeah. the learning process you know that yeah. that thinking or using that thinking routine but it's it's so simple and you don't need to have mountains of resources yeah you know it could it could simply just be a verbal thing that you do with your kids and the amount of information formative information that you gather from using thinking routines in the classroom and the amount of information you can gather as a teacher in terms of driving learning that has a greater student voice and agency Mm in the process just has so much impact yeah. on the way the students engage because they can see, particularly when, you, when you're when you asking them, what do you wonder? Yeah. And they can see that as a teacher, you've taken their question and you've woven it into the learning process mm. and they can see, oh my gosh, that I asked that question. It's a game changer. We le- we're learning about this and then yeah. the other, other kids can see it and they go, well, actually, I wanted to know that, but what about this as well? And you think, yeah. oh, that, you know, stems in perfectly. And oftentimes, you know, I can have the best laid lesson plans, but it's it's when I ask the kids what do they wonder and they and they start to show their curiosity and, and give me those questions that I think, oh, this is a heaps better than what I planned. Like the things that they're wondering are just so much more in depth than what I thought, you know, we're not going to be able to achieve that or, you know, not that I don't have high expectations of my kids, but, you know, there, there are certain things you think, oh, you know, that's, you know, not at a year four level or whatever. Yeah. But the things that they're wondering, you just think, oh, wow, we could do so much with Amazing. the things you're curious about. And I think so often, like, we need to get out of the way as mm. teachers. Um, and just take a step back and actually set those conditions for students to learn. Um, I, um, we use like a, we've got like a variety of QR codes. We're really fortunate to be a, um, an Apple distinguished school. So kids have, um, all of the resources that they need. Um, but having different QR codes, one linked to like a Google form with like a wellbeing check-in or another one linked to a, um, a website that we've developed for further learning or, um, their KWL charts that 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 self generate so each student gets a copy. Like there's all there's so many different ways, and I always say to my team like, um, it takes a bit of time, but set it up first from the beginning, and it will pay you dividends. And so we can, so there should be no if we're doing our job right, there shouldn't be kids that are bored, they shouldn't be disengaged, um, that there should be a buzz and a hum in classrooms. And it really made me um, think reading a book. Um, just about the importance of like setting that, um, getting that environment and that ecosystem for learning right. Um, mm. and, um, look, I've been teaching for 16 years and I can't wait to get back into the classroom and start to 
implement some of those things because um, the the opportunities for for great learning are endless. If we can just take a bit of time to go, okay, how are we going to build this critical and creative thinking in our kids, and how are we going to yep. make sure that when they leave our care, they're students that can ask questions and that can solve mm. problems. I think it's really really meaningful. And um, I did just want to sort of talk briefly about assessment. Um, should we be um, What's the role of assessment in um, uh, in critical and creative thinking? And should we, how should we approach, yeah, how should we approach that? I know it's obviously embedded throughout our curriculum, but do, yeah. do, we, do we need to be assessing that? How, like, how would you approach that? So for me, assessing thinking is looking at how a student's thinking has grown over time and looking at what do the responses that they're giving me tell me about their depth of understanding? So it's really, and I, I'll talk about this in the book, but I use thinking routines as a tool to help me in that assessment process because the prompts, I use them regularly in my classroom. So they've become a routine. The kids know when I say to them, you know, we're going to see, think, wonder about this. They go, oh yeah, I know exactly what she's talking about and they can undertake, you know, they can put that those thinking moves into place but mm. what i look for and in 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 my classroom is how do these thinking moves and these thinking routines support the students to show what it is that they know and understand yeah how has their thinking changed over time and by using the routines it really allows a teacher to see those small shifts yeah. in the way someone has thought about a particular uh, concept particularly yeah. if you're looking at something you know over more than a lesson you know if you're looking at um say in a, in a unit of work you're looking at um you know factors that shape places say in geography like yeah. you know um at the beginning of the unit I would use a thinking routine that kind of helped me to see what they knew about the topic what they were wondering but then I would provide opportunities throughout that learning process to continue to use the same routine yeah. gathering new information as we go so that the product of learning that occurs at the end so your summative assessment has that process built into it as well so that I can yeah. see that clear snap snapshot of how their learning has yeah. formed and shaped, but it also then provides a powerful opportunity for the kids yeah. to be able to go, oh, here's what I used to think. Mm, that's great. Here's what I now think. Yeah. Here's where I'm headed in my in yeah. my learning journey. And I, and I find that by involving them in that, assessment process and using routines which they are you know used to using yeah. in the everyday classroom um, really helps to break down the barrier that assessment is just a yeah. test that we do at the end it's all about that evolution of thinking that that building yeah. of thinking yeah. towards that end goal whether it be to solve a problem, whether it be to create a product, whatever, you know, yeah. 
that end learning. I think you like like practically there's so many sort of ways that we could gather that data. I know I know with my kids we use like I said um, Google Forms, QR codes. Sometimes I'll place an iPad at the front of the classroom during like an experiment, and I'll just want to capture how the students are moving and interacting and posing yeah. questions. Um, of course, there's things like um, uh, a seesaw, which we're not really using at the moment, but that ability to kind of um, annotate evidence and link it to to outcomes. Yeah. But is there any other ways, um, obviously, sorry, journals and that sort of stuff. Is there any other ways that you um, would suggest that we gather that information that would really give us an uh, uh, insight as educators into how our students are thinking and problem solving? Um, I think one of the things that I find really valuable is to use like a template mm. and then you compare it with your digital yeah. forms. Yeah. Often, you know, you can, you can push it out to them as a digital form, but I really find that providing them with mm. a scaffold or a structure supports them in being able to work through the processes of different thinking moves yeah. um, and allow that to become more visible than if I was to just present them with a series of questions, right. say, and ask them to answer them. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, and and I think going back to what we are talking about for, before about setting like a, a process and a procedure, um, I think it can take a little bit of time initially to set it up, but if you have those routines in your classroom and that sort of ability to capture that that data, I think is is really, really important. I mean, we use, practically, we use things like two stars and a wish where we give our kids feedback, but also get other students to provide them feedback based on the success criteria and the learning intentions and all of that. And so um, I, I, I think the most important thing I got out of your book was a reminder that 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 classrooms are just these incredibly incredible like organic and diverse spaces like they're alive right. they're not static and dead and boring yeah. they are these incredible hubs of innovation and and critical thinking and and it really made me um sort of think again about the role of the learning environment and um i i know you've probably poured your heart and soul into it. And thank you for, like I said, for getting it out into the world. And my hope is that there'll be teachers all over the place that would get a copy of it and begin to um, dream again about their classroom, about what's possible. Um, and yeah, so thank you for, thanks for taking the time. I'm sure it's no small feat to, oh, to write a thank book. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Yeah, no, no, I mean, what are your like, I want to be respectful of your time. I could honestly talk to you for hours, but I just, I was just wondering, what do you hope um, would be the the legacy or the impact of the book? My hope when I wrote the book was that somebody somewhere a would read it, <laughs> um, <laughs> and b could take something away and go, oh, I can try that in my classroom tomorrow yeah. and and have the support there to go oh yeah i know what i need to know mm -hmm. i i know how i can adapt it i can see clear example of you know somebody else who's tried it in you know a writing classroom or a maths yeah. lesson or you know i can see that example there which i think you know really helps other people to go oh yeah i can i can see exactly what that looks like um because it really seems like it's written 
for teachers like it could be i mean obviously there's an incredible amount of research um in what you're writing about but it, it's just so user-friendly and practical and i wish that i had had that in my early careers of teaching i think mm, i would have <laughs> saved a, a lot of heartache um yeah. and um but like you're saying now that we know better um we can do better you know and i think it's a it's a really wonderful addition it's um <clears throat> excuse me currently sitting in my office uh, on the bookshelf so i uh, i've got the electronic version here with me um but my physical copy is um i, I don't usually like writing all through books but i've scribbled all over it it's full of post-it notes and I, i've, I've, I've got to be careful <laughs> yeah i've got to be i've got to be careful because i don't want to um overwhelm my team when I go back yeah. um, so I think just choosing one thing and, and 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 on that as we kind of begin to to um to wrap up our time together um if teachers could implement one thing from your book to get started um they're already busy there's a lot going on there's multiple things vying for their attention um where do you think we should start and how can we begin to um have classrooms that embody these principles yeah i think probably the, my best advice would be to choose one thinking routine mm -hmm. and try that same in one curriculum area in one say you chose a c think wonder and you're going to use it in writing and to use it in subsequent writing lessons say over mm. the course of say four weeks and you'll notice the kids, and it doesn't take long for the kids' language to shift. You'll notice you'll notice a shift in the way that they start to talk about and use the language of observing and the language of wondering and thinking and, and noticing. And then look at how might I then adapt that to an, a different curriculum area or if you're in high school, how do I shift that to a different component of the subject mm. that I'm teaching? And to really start there, start with one routine yeah. and really, you know, the whole the whole idea is that, is that it becomes routine. Yeah. You know, at first it's clunky and we chunk the components down so that we're helping the kids to see what it looks like to, you know, to be able to notice, to be able to think, to be able to wonder. And over a couple of weeks, months, you'll notice that the kids become more familiar with it. They begin to use the language they begin to use that type of thinking without you prompting them yeah. to do it they'll start yeah. to use it as part of their normal practice in the way that they start to solve problems and and things like that and then look at yeah say other routines that might benefit the curriculum area you're teaching so small bites well chewed small bites chewed well chewed well <laughs> um so two final questions well three um sorry the first one, if I was sitting down with you and I was just about to enter the classroom uh, for the first time, uh, what advice would you give me? I think... Small bites, maybe. Small bites, yeah. Um, I think if this was your first year of teaching and you're about to enter the classroom, I'd say breathe. You don't need to have a Pinterest-ready classroom. In fact, I would advise you to have nothing on your walls when you first go in and your, your kids first walk into your classroom. And the reason that I say that is because you want to build an, an environment that has student voice, student thinking, 
as part of the routine, as part of the everyday workings of the classroom. And if your walls are plastered with beautiful, pretty posters and pretty things, it just, it makes it a little bit harder to build a space that the kids have created. So I like to have in my classroom walls, like learning walls, walls that teach. So the my classroom walls are full of butcher's paper, full of post-it notes, all with the things that the kids are noticing, are wondering, are thinking, and the wall almost becomes like this snake of ideas and, and things that we've learned along the way, which really allows us to reflect back on how far we've come and and see that learning journey unfold on the walls of the classroom. And if I was a school leader or about to step into that role, what advice would you give me? I think my advice would be, small bites, <laughs> chewed well. I'm going to get that on a T-shirt, I think. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Works for everything. Um, I really think if this is your first time stepping into a leadership position, Relationships sit at the heart of everything we do, whether we are a classroom teacher, whether we are support staff, whether we are a leader, a principal, director, whatever your role is, relationships are key and you need to take the time to really understand the people that you're working with, understand their curiosities and their passions and look at ways that you can leverage that to get the best out of your team. Fantastic. And final question, Alice, uh, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Facebook under Thinking Pathways. I'll add all of this to the show notes so you don't need to remember. (laughs) There's lots of places that you can find me. Um, Instagram under the same name, so Thinking Pathways. I'm on LinkedIn under Alice Figures. Twitter under Alice Figures, and I also have a website, thinkingpathways.weebly.com, where I have loads of thinking routines and templates that you can download ready to use. Um, there's videos and examples and lots of other little goodies Amazing. in there around visible learning and inquiry learning and units of learning. Amazing. If, yeah, I had a really good stuck. book today. There's a lot in there. There's a, yeah. there's a lot. No wonder you got a book deal. There's a lot happening on that website. There is. Yeah, there's a blog there. My aim actually this year is to write more on the blog. I've been a bit yeah. slack, you know, I wrote a book instead of writing writing for my blog. So. <laughs> well, Alice, I'm hugely grateful that you would take the time to, um, uh, to talk with me today. I know it's getting into the evening and I'm sure there's other things that you could be doing. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful to talk to you. And thank you so much for being um, such a advocate for our amazing profession. Um, and I know you're a constant source of inspiration to me. So uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, if you ever wanted to do a round two, uh, you are always welcome. So just reach out. Thank you. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we can continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.